Hello, listeners. As an enhancement to your listening experience, I am now going to present these archive episodes unedited in their entirety, which includes all of my afterthoughts. So, continue listening after the outro music if you want to hear what I thought of the episode. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please support it by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks. And so the flight of Apollo 10, while not yet brought to a successful conclusion, which will come only when the astronauts are safely back on the surface of the Earth, has performed the major function of its mission. It has proved through these daring three astronauts that uh, all of the systems work properly and that there should be no reason why man cannot, perhaps as early as July, land on that picked spot on the moon's equator. This has been indeed a dramatic close to one of the most dramatic days in the history of space exploration. These are sailors of the sky, and what uh, we've seen and heard today make the great ocean voyages of the earthbound seem, well, earthbound indeed. For as the poet wrote, the crew of Apollo 10 has slipped the surly bonds of Earth and carried us over into tomorrow. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis and you're listening to episode 198 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 10, Snoopy Returns and a Successful Dress Rehearsal. The previous episode ended with the jettisoning of the Lunar Module Ascent Stage. Then the Ascent Stage engine was fired to fuel depletion, sending it on a trajectory past the moon into a heliocentric orbit. It is interesting to note that none of the remaining moon missions launched the ascent stage toward the sun. All except Apollo 13 sent their ascent stages to crash on the moon to obtain readings from seismometers placed on the moon's surface. Snoopy's ascent stage was not tracked after 1969 and its current location is unknown. After the ascent stage departure, Stafford and his crew went back to tracking landmarks on the surface below for the upcoming lunar landing mission of Apollo 11. Then a problem occurred. The AC pump, packaged in fuel cell number one, suffered a short circuit at T plus 121 hours and 47 minutes. This caused the associated fuel cell AC pump circuit breaker on the panel to trip. The crew attempted to reset the circuit breaker without success. Following further analysis of the problem, fuel cell number one was taken off the bus. Since cell one's temperature could no longer be controlled, it was used only intermittently. For instance, it was used for the service propulsion system maneuvers as long as the skin temperature was kept below 370 degrees Fahrenheit. The failure of the fuel cell was probably a phase-to-phase short in the hydrogen pump caused by a breakdown of the wiring insulation due to the passage of hot, moist hydrogen across the cables. The purpose of the hydrogen pump was to provide continuous circulation of hydrogen in the fuel cell primary coolant loop and to withdraw water vapor and heat from the stack of cells. With two remaining healthy fuel cells, 
the mission was still able to proceed as planned while monitoring the health of the remaining two fuel cells very closely. Then, at T plus 124 hours and 45 minutes, something interesting happened. The crew sighted Snoopy's descent stage, that is, the bottom part. Remember, the top part was placed in heliocentric orbit. Here's the clip. Okay, real fine, and uh, just might pass along to the Fido troops down there that we noticed the star we could identify coming up. They said, there must be something else in orbit with us. And sure enough, uh, this last pass, it got close enough. It's the bottom part of Snoopy, and Gino with the binocular could see his legs, a reflection off his legs. So as he went uh, out and behind us, like I guess I read that one study that came out, he said, we're going to slowly catch up with him. Well, we're starting to catch up with the bottom part of Snoop, but something has torqued him out of plane a little bit. And he's going out of plane uh, to the south of us. Maybe a mask gun grabbed a hold of him or something, but we're catching up with him. There's no doubt about it. And we can actually see the different colors and reflected light off the black and the silver panels over. All right, uh, good show. Uh, we'll pass that on to the Fido. And here is how Apollo Control summed up the Snoopy sighting. This is Apollo Control at 127 hours, 15 minutes. And we've had a loss of signal on the 26th revolution. Just prior to acquisition on this revolution, the crew saw the descent stage of Snoopy, the lunar module. Uh, after we acquired, Tom Stafford uh, came up and said while they had been behind the moon, they saw what uh, looked like a star out of place, but that Gene Cernan, using the monocular, could uh, see the legs of the descent stage, and it was identified as part of Snoopy. Tom reported it appeared that uh, Charlie Brown uh, was catching up slowly, to the descent stage, but was in a different plane. Landmark tracking considered uh, continued throughout this uh, path. The final day in lunar orbit for Apollo 10 was planned to be rather a long one, with the trans-Earth injection due at T plus 137 hours 36 minutes, and the next sleep period not commencing until T plus 140 hours 30 minutes a full 24 hours after they woke up. This was also a busy period for landmark tracking, photography, TV transmissions, and preparation for the trans-Earth injection burn. It was therefore deemed necessary in the planning of the flight to build in a short rest period of approximately three and a half hours, terminating just three revolutions before the trans-Earth injection maneuver. However, at T plus 132 hours, our old friend Snoopy showed up again and caused a bit of concern for the astronauts. Hey, uh, Apollo, Houston, this is Apollo 10. Look, I know you ran some studies, but by golly, we can see Snoopy, and he isn't too far away. He's catching up with us. Can you talk to the Fidos? He's right down below us. We can occasionally see him tumbling in over end down below there, and he's coming in closer each pass. 
That's Snoopy's defense stage. We can see him right down below us now. And he's right there. I thought he was a little out of plane, but now he's looking more in plane with us. Okay, that's real interesting, Tom. We'll, we'll try and uh, get Fido on that. You can hear the concern in Tom Stafford's voice. Now here's Apollo Control's summary of the latest Snoopy sighting. And we've had loss of signal. Uh, Apollo 10 looked good as it uh, went around the corner. And we'll next acquire the spacecraft in about 46 minutes, uh, early in the 30th revolution. Uh, during this revolution, uh, we had some interesting comments from the crew relative to sightings of Snoopy's uh, descent stage, which was left in an orbit of about 10 nautical miles by 190 nautical miles. Of course, the uh, Lamb ascent stage is now in uh, solar orbit. The crew reported that they had seen Snoopy on uh, every landmark tracking rev, which would have been revs 24, 25, 26, and 27. Uh, the spacecraft, or rather the uh, Lamb descent stage, appearing out in front, and then, as Stafford described it, disappearing overhead. And each time he said... Uh, Snoopy would appear to, to come closer, uh, indicating that the CSM was uh, catching and, in effect, lapping uh, the lunar module. Uh, the ground here in Mission Control concurred with uh, that analysis. The flight dynamics officer estimated that uh, at the time of trans-Earth injection, the command module would be about five or 600 miles out in front of the uh, LAM descent stage. Uh, we advised the crew that uh, if they looked directly overhead at uh, 133 hours, 26 minutes, which would be sunrise on the back side of the moon, uh, they should be able to see Snoopy directly overhead. As the uh, spacecraft went around the corner of the moon, uh, we were showing an orbit with an apogee of 68.5 nautical miles and a perigee of 53.3. Uh, the orbit continuing to show a decrease in perigee and an increase in uh, apogee. The spacecraft orbital weight at this time is 36,685 pounds. And the uh, orbital period is 1 hour, 58 minutes, 50 seconds. At 133 hours, 14 minutes, this is Mission Control, Houston. As you heard, Houston did not share the concern over Snoopy's presence, and it turned out Houston was right. Snoopy was not a threat, as it was in a different orbital plane. But it was an interesting diversion. Finally, time was drawing near for the trans-Earth injection burn. Of course, there was significant preparation for the burn, and here's a clip on that preparation. This is Apollo Control. We've had loss of signal now. Uh, we'll be reacquiring Apollo 10 in about uh, 43 minutes. The spacecraft at that time will be in its 31st revolution. Uh, during that revolution, we'll be uh, passing up the information that the crew will uh, need for their trans-Earth injection uh, maneuver. Uh, that uh, burn 
is scheduled to occur at uh, 137 hours, 36 minutes, 28 seconds, and of course will uh, take place behind the moon uh, while we're out of contact with Apollo 10. The uh, burn duration is uh, currently planned at 3,631 feet per second with a burn duration of 2 minutes 41 seconds. As you heard, the trans-Earth injection burn would occur on the far side of the moon. Now let's move ahead to loss of signal on the 31st orbit. Here's Apollo Control. And we now have uh, LOS, loss of signal, as Apollo 10 has gone around the uh, corner of the moon. Uh, when next we hear from the crew, they should be on their way back to Earth. After some 61 hours, 40 minutes in lunar orbit. Uh, just to recount the uh, information for the trans-Earth injection maneuver, Ignition is scheduled to occur at 137 hours, 36 minutes, 28 seconds. Uh, the burn duration will be 2 minutes, 41 seconds. And that should give the spacecraft uh, an added velocity of 3,630 feet per second. Uh, the maneuver will occur at 155 degrees, 43 minutes east longitude, which will be on the backside of the moon. And with the uh, burn performed properly, we should reacquire the spacecraft at 137 hours, 45 minutes, 26 seconds. As the uh, spacecraft uh, went around the corner of the moon as we lost contact, all systems were looking good. Uh, all three fuel cells are on the line and performing normally at this time. At 137 hours, 9 minutes, this is Apollo Control. Moving ahead now to one minute before trans-Earth injection burn. This is Apollo Control at 137 hours, 36 minutes. We're now less than one minute from the time at which the Apollo 10 crew will be igniting their 20,500-pound thrust service propulsion system engine to start them back to Earth. Uh, at this time, the crew uh, should be completing uh, last-minute checks of their guidance and navigation system. Uh, they should have uh, gotten the spacecraft uh, into proper attitude and checked that attitude against uh, stars. At uh, about 35 seconds prior to the uh, engine ignition, their computer display panel uh, will blank briefly. Uh, they'll then follow that with some uh, Last-minute checks of the accelerometers in the guidance system. At 14 seconds prior to ignition, two of the RCS reaction control system jets will come on to settle SPS propellants. And at minus five seconds, a flashing light on the uh, DISCI panel, the computer display panel, uh, will request the crew to enable the engine for ignition. If all is go at that point, John Young will punch a button to proceed, and the engine will ignite on schedule. We now show 25 seconds to ignition. After 31 orbits around the moon, the crew fired the service module engine to begin the return to Earth. Here's the clip from Acquisition of Signal. Hello, Houston Apollo 10. 
Hello, Apollo 10, this is Houston. How'd the burn go? Uh, Roger, Houston, we are returning to the Earth. Over. Glad to have you on the way back home, 10. Uh, Roger, the bird was absolutely beautiful, and Geo has report, and we've got a fantastic view of the moon now. Over. Mighty fine, Tom. Standing by for that report. Hey, Joe, you got an attaboy for that bad update. Here it comes. Burn was on time. It was 2 minutes and 44 seconds. Residuals were plus 0.3, which we uh, reduced to 0.2. Fuel remaining is 6.7%. Oxidizer is 9.2%. Roger, 10. You copied all that. Uh, 10, this is Houston. Uh, we'd like to go ahead and take that fuel cell one off both buses now. Turn off right now, Joe. Houston, uh, the TV's being turned on now, and as uh, Tom's starting to pan, we have a couple quick short words for you. Roger, we're standing by. Go ahead. This is Houston. We copied that transmission. Thank you. Glad you got the message. Boy, this view has got to be a fantastic thing. Houston, Ted, I hope the Aussies have their sets tuned in because it's utterly fantastic here. Roger that, Tom. I'm sure they're all watching. We're uh, taking a picture right now of uh, Siakowski down south there. That's impressive. Roger, copy. What a place. Joe, uh, that's Siakowski back there. It's big and black and uh, very distinguishable. Fantastic. Incredible. Roger, we can see it pretty plain on the set. Uh, that's the one right up near the horizon. Is that firm? Sitting on the horizon, way out there, right. From the 1969 post-mission debrief regarding the trans-Earth injection burn, Stafford had this to say, quote, The ignition was on time. We had some rates to start with, but within approximately 30 seconds, the rates dampened down. For the last few minutes of the burn, the pitch and yaw rates were absolutely zero, but roll would continually go back and forth in the dead band, end quote. By the way, that music clip the crew played was from a Dean Martin song, called Going Back to Houston. During the return trip to Earth, the astronauts busied themselves with a number of activities, including several star Earth horizon navigation sightings and the Command Service Module S-band high-gain reflectivity test. The passive thermal control technique and the navigation procedures used on the translunar portion of the mission were also used during the return trip. Six television transmissions were made on the return trip and were broadcast back to Earth. The only mid-course correction needed was a 6.7 second, 2.2 feet per second maneuver at T plus 188 hours, 
about three hours before the command and service module separation. That separation occurred at T plus 191 hours, 33 minutes, 26 seconds, and the command module entry followed a normal profile. The command module re-entered Earth's atmosphere at 400,000 feet altitude at T plus 191 hours, 48 minutes, at a velocity of 36,314 feet per second, following a trans-Earth coast of 54 hours and 3 minutes. The parachute system effected a soft splashdown of the command module in the Pacific Ocean on May 26, 1969 at 1652 Universal Time, about 690 kilometers from Samoa and only 6 kilometers from the prime recovery ship. The total journey had taken 192 hours, 3 minutes, 23 seconds. After splashdown, the command module assumed an apex-up flotation attitude. A helicopter picked up the crew and carried them to the USS Princeton within the hour. The astronauts were subsequently flown to Pago Pago International Airport in Tafuna for a greeting reception before being flown on a C-141 cargo plane to Honolulu. About an hour and a half after splashdown, the command module was retrieved and placed on the USS Princeton. It was offloaded from the Princeton on May 31st at Ford Island, Hawaii, and the safing team began their evaluation and deactivation procedures. Deactivation was completed on June 3rd. The command module was then flown to Long Beach, California, where it arrived the next day and it was trucked the same day to North American Rockwell Space Division Facility in Downey, California for post-flight analysis. All systems in the Command and Service Module and Lunar Module were managed very well. Although some problems occurred, most were minor and none caused a constraint to the completion of the mission objectives. Valuable data concerning lunar gravitation was also obtained during the 61 hours in lunar orbit. Before I conclude this episode, I wanted to list some of the objectives achieved by the Apollo 10 mission. Now, these objectives had to be completed before a moon landing could be attempted. Number one, the systems in the command, service, and lunar modules worked satisfactorily for a piloted lunar landing. Number two, the Lunar Module S-Band communication systems worked at lunar distances. Number three, the Lunar Module landing radar would function adequately in a lunar environment. Number four, the range capability of the Lunar Module rendezvous radar was demonstrated in the lunar environment with excellent results. Number five, the Lunar Module Abort Guidance System capability to control an ascent propulsion system maneuver and to guide the spacecraft during rendezvous worked. Number six, the capability of mission control and the manned space flight network to control and monitor two vehicles at lunar distance during both descent and rendezvous operations was proven adequate for a lunar landing. And, number seven, as a bonus, the lunar potential model was significantly improved over that of Apollo 8 
and the orbit determination and prediction procedures proved remarkably more precise for both spacecraft and lunar orbit. In short, this fantastic voyage of Apollo 10 was over and had revealed absolutely no reason why Apollo 11 could not negotiate the final few kilometers to the lunar surface. The trail was blazed. The practice was over. The next time we land. Salutations from the foothills of North Carolina. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode 198 of the Space Rocket History Podcast entitled Apollo 10, Snoopy Returns and a Successful Dress Rehearsal. We are now at T-2 episodes for 200. want to give a big shout out to all my long-time listeners. Thanks for staying subscribed and extend a warm welcome to my new listeners. I'm glad you're here. Make sure you sign up for the email list and connect with me on Twitter and Facebook, and you can do all that at the homepage, spacerockethistory.com. Today, we salute the Gemini-level donors. There are eight so far this year. Gemini donors give $40 or more during the calendar year. Thank you for your continued support, Gemini donors. I had several afterthoughts about this week's episode. Do you feel like the U.S. is ready to land a person on the moon? I do. The Apollo 10 mission was not flawless, but it was good enough. The biggest problem was the gyration of the ascent stage during staging, and that was not due to an equipment failure. So I think they're ready. Did you know that after Apollo 10, NASA required astronauts to choose more dignified names (laughs) for their command and lunar modules? But this uh, proved to be difficult to enforce, and Apollo 16 astronauts Young, Mattingly, and Duke chose Casper, as in Casper the Friendly Ghost, for their command module name. The idea was to give children a way to identify with the mission by using humor, and I personally think that was a good idea. Had you heard about the descent stage of Snoopy returning close to the command module on Apollo 10? (laughs) I had not heard of that before I researched this episode, so that was kind of interesting and they were getting, the astronauts were getting a little nervous, but mission control just didn't seem to bother them. They thought it was fine, and it turned out to be fine. Now, Australians, did you hear Stafford give you a shout-out after trans-Earth injection? Wanted to make sure you had your TVs on <laughs> to see those great moon pictures that they were broadcasting. What did you think about the astronauts playing the Dean Martin song, Going Back to Houston? right after Trans-Earth Injection. I don't think I have ever heard that song before. I don't recall it, but I guess it was kind of appropriate. 
Uh, I did have a significant difficulty finding any good audio clips past the trans-earth injection burn. It seems that many folks, including news networks, pretty much took it for granted that the astronauts would make it safely home. Now, for those of you that want to visit the Apollo 10 capsule, to my latest knowledge, it is at the London Science Museum. Tim F. from the UK sent in the picture I posted on this week's episode. Thank you, Tim, for sending that in, and it is the Apollo 10 capsule in the London Science Museum. So check that out if you get a chance. Okay, I posted some pictures and the audio for this episode on the website, spacerockethistory.com. Hope you check that out. I was pleased to receive several donations to support the podcast over the past week. William B. from Australia donated again and is promoted to the Soyuz level. Stephen S. from Germany donated at the Apollo level and was awarded the treasured moon emoji. Jake M. pledged at the Apollo level on Patreon. Larry S. pledged at the Apollo level on Patreon. And Andre I. increased his pledge on Patreon to the Apollo level. So, We are at 97 patrons, with a goal of reaching 150 by the end of the year. But it looks like it may be just possible to reach 100 Patreons by the 200th episode. We only need three more. Our overall number of donors so far this year is 121, with a goal of reaching 300 donors by the end of the year. Please keep in mind Space Rocket History is entirely listener-supported, and I depend upon your financial support to keep the podcast going. If you are enjoying this content that I'm providing for you, and you can afford to help, please consider doing so. I would really like to keep this podcast funded at least through Apollo 17, if possible. Keep in mind, you don't have to donate much. You can make a one-time $10 donation at the Vostok level, or sign up, with Patreon for $1 per month, sort of like a voluntary subscription. All donors are rewarded with their name on the donors page on the website spacerockethistory.com based on their donation level. Second-year donors receive the coveted rocket emoji, third-year donors receive the treasured moon emoji, and fourth-year donors receive the sought-after satellite emoji next to their name (laughs) on the list. I was very pleased to see the podcast receive three new five-star ratings on iTunes over the past week. I would like to thank Joel Maxwell, NavCAD41-63, through and Shiloh Dustin for the very kind reviews and the all-important five-star rating. Thank you very much. I want to encourage everyone to share the podcast feel free to link the homepage or a particular episode on all social media and thanks to those who have already done so like my retweeters 1202 alarm amh podcast ashley james lee astronaut snoopy atm int arch at cotton science american history fan bennett can tweet bert at home bonner to you buddy p murphy Beacon 63, Captain Beardley, Chris Towers, David B. Nugent, Duke of Oil 60, Eric the Baker, 
Flosin 26, Futurama King, NDTM 42, Jacob Hahn, Gaddafi 1202, Keith Drankwine, KHS Astronomy, Lanyard 73, Matt Milko, MH Through Sport, Michael Hoadley, Peewee 888, Plunder 100, Rapid Mustang, Rocket Noob, Rob J. Mack, Ratcha 86, Skibby, Stiggy, Shinar Squirrel, SP Frost 1987, The Rocketry Show, The JR Fly Boy, This Is Alex Boyd, Tell Gnome, Wayne Neville 75. Thank you very much, retweeters. I certainly do appreciate it. If I missed one, let me know and I'll get you next time. This is the end of content for this episode. You're welcome to stay and listen to my off-topic thoughts if you want. Thanks for sticking around, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Apollo 10 was the longest series I have done yet. And I feel a certain sense of accomplishment to have finally completed it. (laughs) Next week, I will cover the next significant space event in 1969, which was the N-1, the Soviet N-1's second flight. Then I will cover the Soviet Luna 15, which was designed to return lunar samples. And then we will finally reach the series I've been waiting for, and probably you too, Apollo 11. In podcast news, I'm getting extremely excited about reaching episode 200. Get your Tang, our other orange-colored beverage, ready for the Tang ceremony for episode 200. If you feel like you want to, you can post a picture of yourself drinking Tang on Facebook or Twitter. I usually get a kick out of that. I enjoy seeing those. Other podcast news I have for you is another statistic. These are the top 10 states for January downloads. The states with the most downloads for the month of January. Number 1, California. 2, Texas. 3, Florida. 4, Michigan. 5, New York. 6, Virginia. 7, Illinois. 8, Pennsylvania. 9, Washington, and 10, Colorado. Sadly, the Old North State was not in the top 10 for January. In personal news, I have completed my calculations for the Trans-Florida burn, (laughs) and will be leaving soon. It looks like the February 28th launch for a SpaceX Falcon 9 carrying an Echo Star 23 has been postponed. So, the next launch if I'm correct, if I'm reading it correctly, is the uh, March 8th launch, and that is a United Launch Alliance flight using a Delta IV launching a uh, wideband global SATCOM spacecraft. I'm going to shoot for that one. Okay, that's about all I have for this week. I'll try to get episode 199 up by next Thursday. It's possible I could be a little late on this episode since I will be traveling. So long for now.